Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. This is WJFF, and I'm Tracy Higgins here at Radio Chatskill. Americans spend out-of-pocket about $30 billion a year on alternative and complementary medicines and procedures like acupuncturists, homeopaths, naturopaths, energy healing specialists, meditation, it goes on and on. But we have an opportunity this morning to find out more about holistic approaches to health from someone in our own community, Guillaume Gautero. Guillaume comes to us from what is called the Sanctuary in Calicoon, New York. Sounds like a very peaceful place. To talk to us about health, happiness, and the many ways we can nurture it. Guillaume has been on a fascinating journey. He's trained as a medical professional. He's been a very successful business entrepreneur. And then became an enlightened world traveler, bringing back insights and knowledge that he can share with us. He integrates a variety of modalities, including shamanism, Reiki, natural remedies from plants, and a number of psychological and spiritual approaches to motivate clients toward their goals and facilitate the natural healing capacities present to some degree in everyone. So stay with us, and you're welcome to call into the station with questions for Guillaume at 845-482-4141. So good morning, Guillaume, and and thank you for coming to WJFF. Um, Tell us something about your personal journey and and where it has brought you to today. Good morning. Uh, Very pleased to be here with you today. Um, The journey really started, I guess, uh, when I was uh, little. Uh, I've always been fascinated by plants and by the capacity of the natural world to make us feel better. You know, I was three, four, five years old. I would always go in forest and spend a lot of time in nature. And I've been brought up that way by my parents. Despite we live in cities, you know, there was not a weekend or an evening where I connected to nature. And later on in my life, I, I trained as a veterinarian, a doctor for animals. Uh, and I guess I thought that was my path. But as I was doing that, I was called into the world of corporations. And I spent many, many years uh, in the corporate sectors, which brought me uh, to this country, to the U.S., uh, as you can hear. I'm not from here. I'm from France. <laughs> and so I arrived here uh, now 10, 11 years ago. And in 2008, I left the corporate world, started my own ventures. And really, since then, I've been diving more and more into various healing modalities, starting with meditation, uh, but went into Reiki, uh, recent, more recently shamanism and other modalities. I mean, everything really revolving around how can we feel better? How can we harvest that healing power you were mentioning earlier, uh, into our daily life, into our career, into our personal life? 
um, I realized, and that's really what triggered everything, that despite the success I had uh, in the corporate sectors, there was always something missing. I was not fully happy. And that was uh, troubling me, I guess, for, for many years. I was, you know, what's really missing? You know, I answered the call. I went to the big school. I, I did the career. I had the apartment. And everything seems to be answering success and therefore happiness. The problem is my definition of happiness really was a bit broken. It was mainly based on corporate success or some other type of success like financial success. And I realized, at least for me, that something was missing. And so I left everything. And uh, that was uh, three years ago, four years ago. And I went on to a quest to really find myself, which at 40 years old, maybe, you know, it's like, well, it's time. <laughs> But it was really, I guess, a calling that was always there. You know, now when I look back, in fact, all what I did from my medical studies to many other things I did when I was younger uh, were already the seed for where I am today and doing the work I'm doing. That's really exciting. And I'm wondering, um, what is the sanctuary? Um, what is this wonderful place? Um, what are its goals? And what does it offer in terms of healing or personal development? Originally, I started to do some work uh, in New York City, uh, because it's where I live full time. And I was just coming here for weekends. And, uh, and my work was uh, mainly a mix of uh, advisory work, helping entrepreneurs and CEOs to develop their business. Uh, but as I was doing that, uh, more and more people were starting to ask questions around personal life, work and life balance. Uh, they were having major struggle to keep uh, their sleep uh, time okay. They were having struggle keeping a balanced diet, uh, etc. And they were starting to ask me what could they do for that. And because I took that journey, and in many cases, you know, I went up and down, and I had to find solutions and methods for that. I started to talk to them about what they could do. And that evolved into, okay, how can I help those people more? How can I help those CEOs, those entrepreneurs, the people I'm working with to develop their business plan, to make their financial model, to raise money? But I can really help them. And I realized that first, the meditation was a great tool. And I started to study meditation and practice over 10 years ago. But I realized I wanted to go further in that. And I started to explore what are the other modalities that are out there that can help people instead of, you know, just taking a pill to sleep and a pill to wake up, uh, go and drink a glass of wine because we are too stressed and we want to relax or drink coffee in the morning uh, to just stay awake or stay focused. I would like there must be another way than those self-medication methods. And in fact, it's available everywhere out there. So I went into that. And as I was spending more and more time upstate, more, some of those people were like, wow, this is amazing. I want to come here. I want to spend some time in the Catskills. I love Calicoon. Uh, and they were experiencing over the weekends or the day they were with me, a lot of release. Like, oh, I just spent a weekend with you. But it's like, you know, I spent a, a week of holidays. Not because of me, but because really of the settings, of the nature, you know, of the river, of the birds, the animals, uh, eating locally grown uh, vegetables, having uh, honey that I make with my bees, all those things. 
And it really came to me last year, you know what, I need to create a place here where people can come and recharge, recenter, find themselves. At the end of the day, I really believe healing is just offering people a space where they can be open, they can relax, ease their body. And yes, you had some modalities like Reiki, like shamanism, all those things. But really what you want to do is creating that space for them. And the sanctuary was born with that ideas that it would be a place for people to feel safe, uh, to feel listened to, to feel open, to relax far from the city. And that's how already this, the idea started. Sounds wonderful. Um, it seems from what you're saying that you don't sort of sequester the areas of our lives. You try to integrate the different aspects of our lives, our business work, as well as our personal development, as well as our spiritual life. It's not separate areas. You want to sort of bring everything together into, into a whole. Yes. And now I'm wondering, how did you come to think of yourself as a healer, you yourself, um, what was your mindset before that? And what caused that change in your mindset to understand that you yourself could be a healer? Well, I don't use the word healer. You know, I guess for many people, it's, there's a lot of connotation around it. Uh, people always ask what I do. And I just say, you know what, I'm, I'm creating a space for you to feel better. And I'm going to help you transform. We are our own healer. We are our own, own guru. You know, we are our own shaman. And that's what I'm helping people to discover. I know they can heal because they have that capacity. Their body, their mind has extreme powers. And it's just how do you unleash that and make people remember that they can heal. And so really, I think all the modalities out there Either you're talking about meditation or shamanism or plant medicine or Reiki or the runes. They really, what they're doing is trying to say, hey, look inside, look what you are, look what you can do. And we all know of case of uh, what we call miraculous healing uh, from different uh, disease, but it's not miraculous in the sense that it's just people have that capacity. But yes, it gets lost in the way somehow. It gets lost in transit because we are too stressed. We are too busy out there to look in there. And so it's how do we recreate that so people can reconnect to that power, have a daily practice that allow them to harvest that power, and step by step regain control of their life. You know, what strikes me the most is that um, I work uh, we see, oh, and sometimes they run very large companies and they are considered great leaders. And you see articles about them and you know, their leaders and etc. But what strikes me is that sometimes they can't even lead their own life, their own sleep. They can't sleep or they can't control their anxiety. So how, how good is it to live a life, you know, where you separate things, where maybe you're very good in your business career, but somehow you cannot control that one person that you see in the mirror every morning? Is it really leadership? Is it really happiness? So you can't really separate things. I mean, to me, it's just you are that one person. And Eastern medicine, I've understood that, you know, thousands of years ago. I think, sadly, Western medicine, I was trained in Western medicine, has a tendency to separate. You know, you see the dentist and you see the psychologist and you see the surgeon. And those people are great, great professional and they are very useful. But sometimes it would be great to have a better dialogue between everybody's involved there. So we really see you as a whole and not just as 
pieces of a mechanics, you know, like, oh, let's remove the engine or replace that. We are more than the sums of our parts. Very interesting. And it, it seems from what you're saying that you don't believe in this sort of power hierarchy that you are the healer and we are the ones to be healed. It's really our own internal powers that we have that can be awakened or enlightened or helped in some way for people to heal themselves, that we have our own innate ability to heal. Is that right? Yes, because I, I think you, you're stealing people from their own power. And, you know, it might work because you might have them as like the traditional disciple relationship where, well, you know more and they don't know enough. And so they have to learn from you somehow. Uh, I feel that the more I'm diving into my practice, uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a personal growth that is always ongoing. You know, you, you never arrived in that type of medicine. It's not like Western medicine. You get your PhD like I got and then you're done. And you can go to, you know, ongoing classes, but somehow you have achieved some, something. In Eastern medicine, it's a much more humble path where your growth is permanent. You know, it doesn't have, maybe it has some milestones into it, but it's not as striking as a Western medicine. And everybody's capable of that. And you should not remove someone the power to think, you know what? I can't do it on my own. I somehow have to acquire something because I think you're telling people basically, that they are missing something, that somehow a pieces was not given to them when they were born. Something was not like perfect, which is a lie. You know, you were born perfectly perfect. You had everything to function. Or I say, like I say often to people, we are perfectly imperfect, you know, and we have all those pieces. And really the beauty of seeing someone that has been suffering for 20 years of something very difficult and to see in their eyes that they are understanding that something shifting inside them and realizing that there is nothing broken. You know, it's just about love and re-putting together, remembering who they are and putting all that together so they can finally move forward after 10, 20, sometimes 30 years of depression or pain. And that's what you need to give people. You need to give them back their power by showing them where it is. Not by saying, hey, because I'm touching you with my hands and doing Reiki or well, do any kind of other therapy, I'm adding something to you. You know, we're just unlocking the doors that are already there and the keys. So it's a way of summoning our own inner energies and inner powers yes, that you help yes. with. Um, now, we're taking calls here um, at the station, 845-482-4141. And just to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, there are some people who are naturally skeptical of alternative medicine um, because there's not as much strong clinical evidence that has been widely distributed. And, and this may be in part due to the absence of funding for large-scale, well-performed studies. But there are instances where the skeptics are faced with some direct observation of the effects of holistic medicine in their practice. Um, can you describe any changes that you have seen or experienced in your practice or anything that you have read that you can use to help um, inform us on instances where this has really helped someone? Yes, I, I, I think I just to talk quickly about the lack of, uh, of proof on the scientific level. I think it's mainly due to the fact that the research has not invested there. It's not the fact that the proof are missing. Uh, you know, in many ways, if you look, for example, at shamanism, 
it's a practice that's probably around 10 to 20,000 year old. And those what we call shaman are in fact doctors in their own tribes, in their own communities. And if those people were not able to accurately uh, forecast the weather, tell the tribes where to hunt or heal their communities, they would be kicked out. They are not born shaman. They basically, the community call them that way. That's why they say, well, don't call, I, they don't call themselves that way. They call by the community. So, um, they're proving by themselves. They have to be good. And, you know, and they have been fine tuning their methods of investigation into the human psyche and the human body for tens of thousands of years. Western medicine is very powerful. You know, if you break a leg, you know, obviously you have to go to the hospital and the bones get fixed. And I'm not saying, well, just, you know, uh, take some uh, arnica or some echinacea for the infections and, and you're going to be healed. Yet, if you were to combine both, it is proven that you heal much faster. And I've witnessed this in my family. You know, my mother got a, a, in a very big car accident 15 years ago and uh, crashed with a frontal uh, truck uh, at night uh, in the fog. And um, her, her legs were crushed and her feet were crushed. And um, the doctor said... Um, uh, we don't know if she's going to be able to walk, you know, because her feet are really, really damaged. And they were really giants, you know, uh, brown, <laughs> purple feet. They didn't look like feet anymore. And we combine Western medicine and Eastern medicine, and we give her homeopathic remedies uh, back for her essences and a few different things. And within a few days, the hematoms and the bruises went away, and the surgeon and the doctors were puzzled by it. They couldn't understand this is they've never seen anything like that. What's, I think, an issue is more than they didn't ask what it was or they didn't want to use it on the next patients, which are good doctors used to do. Even 50 years ago, your local doctors here, you know, would have an empirical knowledge on top of his scientific knowledge because he knows he could help you. So I think it's more how do we bridge the two. And to finish by that, you know, you have a... On the Reiki side, you know, Reiki is becoming more and more popular. And you have a hospi many hospitals now in the country and in New York City, uh, Upper West Side at the Colombian Presbyterian Hospital. A uh, famous doctor, Dr. Feldman, uh, is using Reiki in his uh, surgery room with some of his patients that are willing to do it or the patients are asking for it. And why patients are bringing Reiki? Well, I've done Reiki recently and I'm certified medical Reiki, so I can't go in surgery room for people. I've done recently with someone that was having um, a cancer and a chemo. And that basically, you know, is the symptoms. People are less dizzy when they receive chemo. They recover faster after their sessions. And if they go into surgery, they also recover faster. So, and a lot of people are seeing that now and professional uh, doctors are like, well, if I can help my patient that way, maybe it's worth looking at it. But you know, at the end of the day, it's going to happen is that most of the doctors one day are going to need it for themselves. And that's very often what happened. They come to see you and say, don't tell my, don't tell my friends, my doctor friends, they, I don't want them to know that I'm using plants or that I'm using Reiki, but I already need it. So, you know, the shift is happening and, you know, it's going to take some time, but I'm hopeful that more and more professionals are going to be interested to see how can I bring that and bridge those two practices together. Those are great examples. And in fact, the New York Times reported, uh, I think a few weeks ago, of a geriatric patient who was uh, having terrible uh, sciatic pain in the hospital. And um, they saw the pain reduced from a 10 
which is a maximum down to a three. So that patient's doctor, uh, it was at uh, St. Joseph's in Patterson, um, New Jersey, as I rem- as I recall. So for that doctor, that was a very good empirical evidence for the usefulness of of Reiki. Yes, there is case like that, and there is more and more of them. I think there's also a lot of cases where we don't hear about it because you know people are shy about it or they don't talk about it. So there is more example of that out there. It's just a question of New York Times and other you know big media who start reporting about it, and people reconnect to it. You know, it's not about magic; it's about global health. You know, do we really want the society to feel better and people? Are we just trying to sell treatments out there? Okay. Well, you're listening to WJFF 90.5 FM in the Catskills. We'll take a short break and be back to give some more background on the types of modalities that Guillaume uses in his practice, like Reiki, shamanism, Tibetan singing bowls, healing plants, and others. So stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Chatskill Live Local Conversations. Remember, the number to call is 845-482-4141. If you don't get in the first time, please call back and be patient. Thank you. So we're back to Radio Chatskill with Guillaume Gautero. And we're going to talk about some things, but we do have a call on the line from Roy. Roy, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Great. Please go ahead with your question for Guillaume. Yeah, um, I've for probably almost 10, 12 years had a really bad case of uh, athlete's foot, I guess. It was mostly located on one toe. And for years I treated it with pine sap, of all things, and it it seemed to be working up until probably the last two weeks. And then I finally had to throw up my hands and go see a doctor, and they put me on antibiotics. But I was wondering if he knew of anything else in the nature's pharmacopoeia that maybe I should have tried or other things I should be doing. Thanks. Thanks, Roy. Well, I can't really give you medical advice on the, on the phone like that. Plus, I'm, I'm not a, a doctor or practitioner, but for sure, you know, I think it would be interesting to see uh, which plants maybe could uh, strengthen your immune system. Uh, not only like topical and local uh, treatments, but also what you could take. Uh, you know, some uh, mushroom, for example, reishi and, and chaga are very uh, good uh, strengthener of the immune system and regulate that. Uh, there is all the plants out there that could uh, that could help you. So really, you know, ideally you would like to, to talk to a local herbalist uh, or potentially, you know, contact me offline and I could maybe, uh, you know, help you and, and tell you, you know, what are the plants that you should look at that that could definitely help you? So you can reach out to me, and and, and I'd be happy to to look at this further. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roy. Thanks yeah, for calling. Keep up Roy. the good work. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, now most of us um, associate shamanism with, I know in my case, traditional African healers. 
uh, such as in Mali, um, where the healer can speak to the deity Ama for advice on divinatory or healing practices, or um, an Nganga in Bantu um, culture. Um, so that's what comes to mind for me. So I'm glad to hear that you are also um, a shaman, maybe in a way. Um, can you explain the concept behind shamanism and how it can be beneficial in your practice? Yes, I think, uh, I mean, first the word shamans come, um, uh, from, um, Russia. And, uh, so that's, that's where the, the names come from. And, and really what it says, what it, what it tells is say, someone that can see in the dark. And it, it doesn't mean someone that's seen the night, <laughs> but it means someone that sees those places that we can see with our own eyes. And that's going to be able to look at your body as an energy body and not just as a physical body. And you have shamanic traditions all over the world, uh, Northern America here, you know, uh, traditional American Native Indians, uh, South America, uh, Europe. In Western Europe, you had a lot of what we call shamans or witches, but, you know, they were burned 2,000 years ago. So that tradition kind of disappeared a little bit, even if it still exists. Uh, but you had a, a tradition of shamanism even in Western Europe uh, and all over Asia and India and everywhere. So... We all have, you know, I very often hear, oh, this is not your tradition or how come, you know, it's, it's not in our nature as, as white people or Westerners, you know, to do these things, but because it's not somehow in our blood. Well, this is, this is a lie. In fact, it's in, it's in our own blood. Wherever we're coming from in Europe and wherever we're coming from in the world, we have, uh, people in our ancestors that we're practicing uh, that type of medicine. And very often, just to comment that, what, what shamans do is that they go into, uh, with their patients or alone, into what's called an, an altered state of consciousness, usually by drumming, but it could be by dancing, it could be by using some plants. And in that altered uh, state of consciousness, they are able to uh, see more of the other layers of the body, the energy body. And they're able to then heal the patients and walk with them uh, on different modalities and just what is seen on the surface. Uh, because what you see and what the root of the problem might be is probably very different. I can give you an example. You have some people that maybe have a back pain or a stomach pain for 10 or 15 years. But it all started when they had a, an emotional trauma, when they got divorced, or when something really terrible happened in their life. And that's where those symptoms have started. Western medicine will give, you know, probably painkiller for the stomach or for the back and things like that. Eastern medicine might be interesting maybe to go in a little bit further and deeper. So I think that's where both medicine are very interested in working together because you can alleviate the pains of the people very quickly, but you can also resolve what is a problem there behind everything and really get people to fully heal. And so once again, we are all our own shaman. What we're doing is that tapping into that truth that what we are is that energy body and awakening that. So a shaman is not a magician. A shaman <laughs> is someone who really enters an altered state of consciousness that enables them to see some see those energy levels and, and help the person heal themselves with yes, what he sees. Exactly. It's not magic. I mean, it's only magic if you're looking from far and you're not really interested to dive into it. But, you know, I, I do very often um, power animals workshops where people 
can connect to their power animals. And it's like, it's a little bit like your garden angels. And for people, it's like a little bit folkloric because they think it's bizarre. But even the most skeptical people that have never done any practices in shamanism, within 20 minutes, connect to that power animal and get messages that nobody could know. Only the power animal would know that. And they're like, mind blown. I say, this is incredible. And so it can look like magic, but the more I practice it, the more it looks like more reality. And in fact, our own reality right now, like me seeing you in the studio here and all that, to me, it seems only like the top layers of what we're seeing. And there's way more than that. And I'm interested, how do we put all of those layers together to make a more informed decision on the patient health? You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. Okay, we have another caller. We have Catherine on the line. Um, Catherine, are you with us? Yes, I am. Uh, Yes, Guillaume, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you very much. Listening to you this morning is like having our own private healing session or you oh, know, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> therapy <laughs> session, getting us to understand that we are the healer ourselves of, of whatever is happening to us. And the second thing I wanted to ask you or, or tell you is, you know, last week I sprained my ankle last Thursday, and for a week I've had this kind of horrible purple, you know, kind of painful thing, and, and you know, it hasn't really done that much better. And I had to go to New York yesterday and when I, you know, after I came home it was it was really awful and throbbing with pain and horrible and purple and everything. And then I put on it plant oils actually is what it is. Africa's Secret, mm-hmm. which is a a cream that it it has in it. Uh let me see here. Shea butter, coconut oil, beeswax, African wild honey, neem oil. Uh, baobab oil, sesame oil, royal jelly, bee pollen, and bee propolis. And I woke up this morning, and this and this ankle is like you know regular beautiful skin. And all of a sudden, I could walk without it hurting. And I just, I mean, I I'm very very interested in the plant oils thing. And I just thought you could speak to that a little bit. Sure. I mean, um, I got uh, going. Thank you for for sharing that example. I, I got stung by a, a, a yellow jacket or wasp uh, like three days ago on my hands. I was opening sanctuary tent. I didn't see it. I squeezed a little poor guy, and obviously defend itself and sting my hands. Oh. <laughs> and you know those yellow jackets. I have bees, and bees are kind of more gentle. But the yellow jackets, uh, wasp, can be a little bit wow, aggressive. Wow, yeah, they're evil. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if they're evil, but let's say it's trying to defend itself. And I got sting on my hand, and I was starting a session with a client, and I was, you know, what I did is that I went into my garden, I pick up some uh, plantain leaves, which is that. What people call a weed because the plantain, uh, plantain leaves grow everywhere in our gardens. Uh, I did a, a video on my YouTube channel about it and I just made a poultice with it, which is basically crushing the leaves in my mouth mm. and I applied the leaves directly on the sting. Uh, and I just you know, wrapped that around my hand and I did my session for one hour. And at the end of the session, I removed the, the plantain and, uh, the bruise was gone. The sting was gone. Nothing was itching. I almost had no trace of the stinger, which was unbelievable to me. That's incredible. Despite I use plants a lot. Yes. And, you know, my reflex would have probably, and I took also some homeopathic remedy, so Apis mellifica, which is basically the bee venom that's diluted in high dilutions and that's very efficient also for, for bee stings. And I took both of them. 
And literally within, you know, an hour, the, everything was gone. And so right. there is a lot of things out there that we can do, you know, to heal ourselves. And in fact, if we look in our gardens or on the driveways or alongside our roads here, most of the plants are medicinal plants. Most of the right. plants are just waiting to help us. And just, right. And many of the old houses around here, you know, they have what were medicinal gardens. Yes. Yes. You know, the old farmhouses totally. because I don't know, most of the U.S. medicine was plant medicine until right after World War One. I, I think. I don't, I can't remember exactly when. Yes. And in fact, you, something it's like very that. true. And if you walk along the Delaware River, uh, where there was, you know, uh, American uh, Native Indian settlements, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, villages before you know we came here uh those people were moving around with their plants because it oh, was their amazing, medicine really? it was their pharmacy and in fact there's a lot of plants that you find in calicoon on the delaware river on the edge that are not natives that are coming from all the states or from further away which means we know those plants are here because there was native indian that brought them uh, some plants like detura for example and detura is, is considered as a very toxic plant was used for ceremony work by American Native Indians, but you find it here. So, you know, they came here, they were doing their medicine here and that plant has stayed there and has grown there. And wow. what, what really tells me is like, not only it's available to all of us in our garden and around us, but more than that, our body knows those plants for tens of thousands, if not more years. So that medicine right. is very efficient because it speaks a language our body knows, at always known. Right. When we take a medicine that's just been invented and that's chemically produced, it's slightly different than the way nature produces things. And so the way it fits into our body is way more simple, is way right. more basic. But the plants have thousands of components. So yes, we could isolate each component and say, well, this is what works on the bee sting. But the truth is the whole plant has much more effect than those separate parts. Like I right. said earlier, no holistic effect. And yeah, that's exactly. why a lot of the big exactly. pharmaceuticals try to test plants, right? And try to convert them into drugs, something they can uh, copyright. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that we are more than the sum of our parts and the yeah. plant is the same. If I were to Dion, cut you, you into so 50 pieces, you know, and put them together, you will not be alive again. So yeah. we are not just the spots. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm going to go now because I want to listen to you more. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Karen. Um, Catherine, sorry. Um, and that brings us into healing with plants, which is something I wanted to talk more about. And I think you've already covered a lot of it. Um, do the plants that you use in the healing process, do they have to be harvested or transported or, or stored in a certain way? Or are they good to go? Do they need to be imbued with intention like crystals or how do we use plants? Well, most of them, um, are ready to go, but you know, some plants you can, you should use only the roots or just the leaves or just the floral tops. They have different properties and you can use the whole plant. Uh, some plants, you know, uh, might have, a different effects based on what you, which part you're using. And some plants you can use the whole plants. Um, some plants are better to be harvested in spring, you know, when they're just starting to come out. And some plants are better harvested in winter when they are making roots and sending a lot of strength into their roots. So really it varies from plants to plants. And the basics you can do is just, you know, obviously take that plants. I mean, making sure you know what you're doing and that you know which plant it is and basically dry it and use it as a tea or decoction. So that would be the most simple way. Uh, another way is to put it in alcohol, a lot of it, and make what's called a tinctures. 
and you just the plants have sit in alcohol for two or three months or four months and that extracts you know from the plants all the components that are essential and you would just take a few drops of that alcohol or you can make a poultice like i mentioned earlier with a plantain which is just taking the leaf and crushing them into your mouth and just applying them on your skin you know when you have poison ivy or, or all of the things we have that bother us in summer here Usually the remedy is right next to it with another plant. Oh, that's exactly so what I was ask. you don't have to go far away from that. And for folks like me, this actually clarifies some things um, in that homeopathy. Sometimes we might confuse. Now, homeopathy is a different discipline where you actually introduce a minuscule amount of an offending substance into the body uh, for healing. But with plant medicine, the plants actually have a direct beneficial therapeutic effect on the body. So we would, would we call this naturopathy or we would call it plant medicine? We call it plant medicine or herbalism. Herbalism. But sometimes you might use the plant also as a very, very high dilution. For example, yarrow is a good example and yarrow grows everywhere here. Uh, uh, it's called uh, the healed, uh, sorry, the wounded healer. And uh, what is yarrow, if you use it as a tincture, and so you concentrate the plant and you can use it as a tincture and you can use that internally for some specific uh, actions. But you could use the flower of yarrow that you just put on water for a few hours and make what's called a flower essence. You remove the flower from the water. So basically there's nothing in that water but the imprint of the energy of that plant, of that flowers. And from that water, and you you add alcohol, and there's a few steps in it, but you're going to make what's called a flower essence of yarrow. If you were to go through a chemical analysis of that water, there is no trace of yarrow in it. Yet, it's extremely powerful on protecting you, for example, from negative energy. You know, from as a healer or as someone that works with patients and healing modalities, you know, yarrow flower essence is a great plant to have as a flower essence, it would not have the same effect if you take it as a tincture. So you see, there's very different way. And if you take it, take it, for example, just the leaves and you put it on a once, it's going to stop you bleeding. But only the leaves do that and the fresh leaves. And, you know, you won't be able to do that, obviously, with a tincture, which would burn you. So you see, there's various ways to work with even just one plant. Very interesting. So um, we now have Angie on the line. Angie, are you still there? Yes, and actually, while I was on hold, you touched a little bit about uh, on my comment and my question. But decades ago, when I was traveling through Central America, I had a tour with a local guide in the jungle who was showing that the cure grew right by the poison. And I knew that before I'd gone, jewelweed grows near poison ivy, etc. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to comment on other examples of that and why that's so. Um. Why, I don't know. We have to ask, you know, the big guy up there. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. But w what is true is that very often, uh, somehow nature is putting the poison and the remedy next to it. And, um, you know, another a good example is uh, we have an invasive uh, bush here in, in the Cascade and everywhere that, that grows everywhere. And people try to cut and, you know, it's it's really difficult to remove and it gets when you cut it it's got this very yellow bark and yellow roots uh very very strong one if you were to make a tincture of that uh that tincture is very efficient against lyme disease and a good support for people going through lyme disease 
Well, somehow that plant is growing right now a lot around here where there's a lot of Lyme disease because of the deers and the ticks that are infested. Mm. Um, the poison ivy is a good example, you know, poison ivy or bees. I mean, there are already uh, a lot of, of that here in summer, but at the same time, you grow, uh, there is yarrow uh, and um, a plantain that I mentioned earlier, and those two plants uh, used as a poultice on your hands can remove the irritation, the itching, and the infections very, uh, not the infection, the itching and that very quickly. And so most of the plants right there can help you to remove that. Another What's the name of sorry. that invasive bush? Uh, I don't know the name. I just okay. know I just know what it is. It's like you know the one with the little spines everywhere, and uh, it's it's got you know that uh, we have it in the forest everywhere here. Mm. Another example I think which is really great is um, dandelion. Mm-hmm. Dandelion is kind of the first plant that comes out in spring here. You know we mm-hmm. we in our garden we've got all those dandelion. And dandelion is amazing for cleansing. Oh, it's a treasure yeah. in many treasure in many ways. But it's like you know, you come spring right after the winter. You want to do a good cleanse after the winter and get your body ready for spring. Well, the first plant that comes out, dandelion, can help you doing that. Nourish your body and cleanse it also using you know doing a cleanse on your kidney and your liver. So you just, there's so many examples out there. It's it's very magical when you start diving in it. Well, thanks for your knowledge. You're welcome. Goodbye. Thanks for your call, Angie. Now, for those of you tuning in just now, this is WJFF in Jeffersonville, a community hydro-powered radio station in upstate New York. And we're talking to Guillaume Gautero of The Sanctuary in Calicoon, New York. We'll take a short break and come back and talk about Guillaume's approach to life, his leadership style, and what moves us. And you can call in with questions for Guillaume at 845-482-4141. Stay tuned. Because of you. Because of you. Because of you. Because of you. We've reached our pledge drive goal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. WJFF blew past its $50,000 goal for the summer 2016 pledge drive thanks to listeners just like you. Thank you to all of our volunteers, everyone from the community and local organizations who checked in with us, and thank you for listening and supporting. You. You. You made it happen. From all of us at WJFF, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're back with Radio Chat School with Guillaume Gautero of The Sanctuary. Now, you had mentioned before that we don't really have healers, so to speak. People have their own innate healing um, capacities. But let's say you wanted to be someone who wanted to facilitate other people's healing. Um, How does someone know if they have a gift for helping other people to heal? Uh, maybe the answer is whether they whether it works or not, whether they get healed or not. But if someone wanted to become, so to speak, a healer or someone who facilitates healing, would they have to present with certain innate gifts already? Or can, for example, the skills of a shaman be learned by anyone? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, obviously we're all born different uh, with different skills. 
Um, you might be able to paint very well. I'm really bad at it. <laughs> but I play violin quite well because I played in orchestra for 15 years. <laughs> and, you know, it might take you. But I trained for it. I don't know if I was gifted. I just trained a lot for it. So I was never an amazing violinist, like meaning a professional, you know. So probably, you know, someone would be born with that gift would be much better than me, even if he trained the same amount of years. And it's the same in healing modalities, you know, in, in Reiki or in herbalism and shamanism. Uh, there is definitely people with gifts. Uh, some people can channel easily. Some people can guide others by talking. Some people have uh, more power to hold space. Some people have more power in their hands. Uh, some people heal just by singing or playing music. Um, so, you know, it's really more discovering your own gift. And first, I think it's working on your own healing, on your own shadows, on your own pain, on your own ones, and being extremely vulnerable, you know, and, and doing that. And, you know, it's an ongoing process. You know, I'm going through it as I speak. You know, and I've been going through it for a long time now, and I know it's a never-ending uh, process. I've never arrived. There's nowhere to arrive. It's how do we enjoy that journey? And always remembering that we always have something to heal. You know, once we heal something, something is under it, and we have to take care of it, and then something is under it. So I like the uh, expression of the Franciscan monks, and they say you're basically falling upwards, in life, they call about the enlightenment and the evolution. They say it's a fall, but upwards. And I really like that. You know, it's almost like that notion of falling and surrendering and trusting, but it's like an upward fall, you know, because you're going to your greater self. You're going to something more awakened, something, you know, that's more, that's more light. And that's how do we trigger that? Some people are born with more skills to do that. Some people need more guidance, more teachers, more healers around them. I think we all need that. You know, I have coach, I have healers around me that heals me, that coach me. I think it's essential for everyone. So you focus not only on the physical healing practices, but also the mind in terms of finding one's inner focus and achieving their goals um, with uh, coaching that you offer and targeted support. Um, are these two areas interrelated? Can a person do one and not the other? Or is it really one integrated whole? And is this part of, as I think it's called, the Awakened Leadership Program that you offer? Tell us about that. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's hard for disconnecting both, you know, to do, say, oh, I'm just going to work on my business plan, but I don't really need to take care of the way I sleep, my anxiety, the way I manage my energy, the way I talk to people. I mean, it's, how do you separate that? Uh, I work a lot with, with entrepreneurs, you know, and, and very often what's going to make them fail in their project is not that the idea is bad, but it's the execution of it. Because they might stop, you know, too early in the process. They might not have the strength to go through it. They might not be having a balanced life that allows them to harvest energy in the long run. So you can already disconnect both of them. For sure, you know, if someone calls me and say, hey, I want to work on a business plan, I'm going to make their business plan. I'm not going to talk about plant medicine or other things. But very often in the process, stress comes in because we live in societies a lot of stress. Fears come in because fears is all over. I mean, you can turn on TV and, you know, you see that everywhere. And we are very badly equipped uh, to deal with that because we haven't learned those tools in Western societies. 
you know, we have developed the head and the mind, but not the heart. We are very imbalanced. And in Eastern medicine, you have uh, different energy centers, your physical centers, your emotional centers, your mental centers, and your spiritual centers. And all of them are important. None one of them is over the others. The problem in our society is the mind is very over everything and people get very imbalanced. And then they get trapped in this, trying to figure out how to have less anxiety or sleep better with their mind, which created the problem in the first place, where the solution is in the body and in the heart. So it's just about, you know, teaching those tools to CEOs and entrepreneurs or to organizations that I work with because they're trying to learn a new methods where sometimes it's just about breathing in the morning for five minutes all together and creating a space where we can just hold that together. And that changed everything. And some organizations do that. In fact, they start every morning by a practice, which is a practice of connection, but which is not a mental exercise because we don't need more mental, which is more through the breath. So I would say something that we maybe call more spiritual, which has nothing to do with religion, uh, which is not co more connected to that energy that we have in us. So you champion transformation, not only personal transformation, but transformation in our public and professional lives. They go hand in hand. Um, I'm reminded of a work by uh, Mark Crowley, who wrote Lead mm -hmm. from the Heart, the transformational leadership for the 21st century. And he dared to say that CEOs, um, that leading from the heart is the most effective and sustainable way of inspiring human achievement in the workplace. So he essentially says it takes love. What do you say about that? Yes, that's all what it takes. In fact, the healing process of someone going through uh, any kind of trauma, the foundation of it is love, self-love. Uh, if there's part of us we don't like, you know, it's going to be really hard to move forward without them unless we carve out something out of us and we remove it. But it just doesn't work that way with the mind or with the body. So in leadership, it's even more essential. And I gave some public talks about it uh, last year and I have another one coming soon where one of the exercises I do in front of big CEOs and leaders, the first one is to take their hands, put it on their heart, take a few deep breaths and ask the questions, what do you want? And they look at me like a bit intrigued, say, well, what are we doing? Say, no, just put your hand on your heart and ask him, ask your heart, what do you want? So what I'm doing by that practice is first having them pausing and breathing and remembering that they are in a body because most of the time we forgot, we're just in our head and we forgot we have a body there. But it's, what is your purpose? What really are you craving in your life? Is it really building that business or is it another business? You know, what kind of life do you really want to live? And I think unless we answer those big questions in at an organization level, at a community level, at a country level, you know, we are never going to solve the problems we are creating in the first place. And so it's essential that we include, that includes everyone, that we connect through that because at the end of the day, that's what we're all craving. And the pain and the anger and the fear is because we're disconnected from it. It's so painful to don't feel, to not feel that connection. Yet the heart is going to be screaming to be hurt, even if we don't want to. And we can live our life like that. Most people do, in fact. And you can see a lot of angry people on TV sometimes are living that way. If those people were to do maybe just a 10 minutes practice every morning, a breathing practice with themselves and with their team, I can tell you that they would be much stronger leaders. They will have much better ideas on how to solve problems. 
they would be much more powerful leader, but not from an ego place, from a place of humanness and connection. And that's really, I think, why it's essential to do that work. We're taking your calls at 845-482-4141. And I'd like to maybe mention a few of the tools that you mentioned that you offer at the sanctuary. Um, there is a practice called runes. So you, I, that, I found that fascinating. I wonder if you could explain that to us. Uh, the runes, yeah. I have the chance to have an, an incredible teacher. I've been studying for now uh, a couple of years. Uh, the runes were... Uh, for some people, they say it's an ancient alphabet. So there's a little, uh, signs, uh, that were usually found on old cave, you know, on stones, or now they're made on clay or on, you know, on wood. And those runes basically, each of them is a letter. And the most common use or that we see out there is people using them for divination, asking questions and throwing the runes and getting answers through that. But really the runes were used, uh, by the uh, people at the time more for connecting to their gods, connecting to their spirituality, connecting to their higher self. And the, the runes were also used for medicine. Once you can connect to certain runes, they have a certain uh, type of energy, you can channel, sing, or use that runes for medicine. In the same way that you can use different notes of music, like uh, with Tibetan sound balls, you know, so each ball is tuned into a chakra, which is an energy center in your body, where runes is a little bit like that. You could use the runes for a specific part of the body, for a specific disease, for a specific trauma, uh, either being mental or things like that. And the fun about it is that you can combine them, it's called what's called a bind runes or an elm, to create a very unique medicine. So you can use that, for example, for, for kids that have nightmares at night so they can sleep better, so for people that have anxiety, but for all kind of different things. They're really fun and, and you know, it's kind of one of my really main practice now. I use them more and more. I'm really called into it. So I'm really looking at them evolve and I still have a lot to learn around that. You mentioned briefly those Tibetan singing bowls. Um, can you explain how that works? That's something that most of us are not familiar with. Yes, yeah, so there are those balls, and maybe people have seen them. You see people like ringing those metal balls and creating a beautiful sounds. Um, and those are singing balls. And so the healing balls are a little bit different in the sense that they are tuned and made in a different way. And each ball is going to be made for a specific part of the body, one of those energy centers. And we have, you know, it's a bit... Uh, short here to talk about all of them, but we have, you know, different energy centers in our body. And the balls are allowing to basically uh, reopen and cleanse the energy into those energy centers. So we could go into your, let's say, your solar plexus, uh, which is your third chakra, third energy centers, which is linked to your stomach and your livers, which also is uh, linked to your will, uh, your power into this world. You express yourself. And so we could use a ball on your body or right next to your body on that energy center and ring it. And that vibration, that energy, that sounds go inside you and is going to do some healing there. Uh, you could put water into that bowl and ring it and drink that water, which would carry that vibration inside your t tissue. So there's many ways you can use them. And to me, they are very complementary to other type of energy medicine. What I really like about them is that everybody's skeptical or not, can feel their power and feel that's what's going on into their body. 
So it's a good introduction, especially when people are really stressed and come into a session with me. I usually start with the balls because they are a good way to kind of put people into a, a more open and relaxed state into their body, which is essential for any healing modalities to really work. Okay, so those bowls are, I guess, different sizes. So there's a particular vibration. Yeah, different size and different shapes, etc. They are they are made. Uh, you know, it takes a year to make them. So they are they are really beautiful and special. They're 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 fun to work with. Okay, and there's a different kind of. There are several different kinds of reiki, right? There's a medical reiki, and that is trademarked. And there's other kinds of reiki. And which kind of reiki do you practice? So there is a. So Reiki was uh, invented or let's say rediscovered uh, 150 years ago, but really it's tapping into a thousand-year-old type of medicine. And that's a classical Reiki, as you heard about it. Uh, more recently, in the last few years, uh, medical Reiki came around and uh, uh, Raven KS was based in New York with my teachers and certified me in medical Reiki. And really, medical Reiki is, is the extra step that allows you to go into surgery room to go into hospital and help patients before the surgery, during their surgery, and after their surgery, or before the chemo, during the chemo, and after the chemo. So, or if people are having a baby, I mean, like recently I was reading online, like a few days ago, someone got their baby delivered, and then medical Reiki was given during the delivery to help that. So it, it's really a wonderful way to bring Reiki really where it belongs. Uh, which is when people are going through traumas and through important changes. And I think that's the best example on how we can combine Western and Eastern medicine together. That's great. Now, tell us, we only have about a minute left. Uh, Guillaume, tell us where you're located at the sanctuary. So uh, I am in Calicoon on Hospital Road. So up the hill in Hospital Road, and you have the, the beautiful road that goes up the seminary over there, and you turn right and you get on Hospital Road. And, uh, you know, I'm there uh, most of the time unless I'm in New York with my clients. And I also do a lot of my work online. Uh, Reiki can be given at a distance, you know, coaching and healing. Many of the modality like shamanic healing can be given over the phone. So I will love clients, in fact, all over the countries and even clients in my home country in France or, you know, in Asia or even further away countries sometimes. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, Guillaume Gauterol. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for saying my name so well. Usually people have a very hard time with French name. <laughs> yes, thank you for being with us on Radio Chat Skill. These are live local conversations on WJFF. Thanks to our producer, Tim Bruno, our engineer extraordinaire, Jason Dole. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks to you, our listeners. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast, and Angel Deer signing off.